Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time once again for some good old-fashioned theological porn. I am your your co-host, Keith Giles. Um, F word. (laughs) author of the Jesus Sun series of books and uh, the brand new Solo Mysterium, uh, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything available now on Amazon. Go check it out. Uh, joined by my co-host, Matt and Katie. Say hello. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine. I did not know it was a theological porn episode, but now that I know, I'm going to reorient all my thoughts, but I should always come in with that assumption. I don't know why I think that I shouldn't. Uh, hey, I'm the founder of The Metaphysical Christian, where we talk about woo-woo, angels and ascended beings, and how that intersects with your faith. And I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control, and I uh, can't wait to get into the topic today. And that makes me Matthew J. DiStefano, the author of all theological porn known uh-huh. to man. Uh, I am, I'm actually the author of uh, Learning to Float and a bunch of other books. I, I would love it if everyone goes and checks out that book with my good friend, Michelle Collins. I'm excited for another episode of Heretic Happy Hour mm. in the midst of the film series. But before we get into all of that, did you know, did you know that we have a quiz that you can take and you can find out which historical heretic you are? Do you know where to find that? Oh, I think it's a there's a this, quiz. Uh, there's a quiz. Yes. You can take if, if you short if you quiz. didn't get enough schooling and testing and all that, you can go take a quiz. Who's find like out. one of the people I could be on the quiz. Well, that's it's been a while be, since I went over there. <laughs> I can't remember. You in, could be in keeping with the last episode. You could end up being Mary Magdalene. I think and that is at least know. one of them. You won't know until you take the quiz. That's right. I think I. I'm trying to remember. Is, is Michael Zervatus one of them? Maybe um, Gandhi is definitely is Gandhi. Yeah, something Teresa like that. Anyway, of, of, of Villa. Let's leave it a surprise. That's I mean, right. y- who knows who you could be? And I and I, I really I like this quiz better than most quizzes that I see online. Like, which Smurf are you? You know, which well, which, which Smurf are you, Keith? I don't obvious. care. <laughs> Probably Papa. Right, yes, obviously. <laughs> obviously, I'm Papa Smurf. I got the beard, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So, everyone, if you could go, go check that out. Go check out hereticapiar.com and take the quiz. Find out which uh, which heretic you are, and then you know, because we love you, we'll send you uh, email notifications of <laughs> That's you know, right. everything that. Uh, this is all we're trying to do, people. Is we're trying to You'll get you. You'll never miss another episode. <laughs> never miss an episode or any exciting things that we're releasing. So it's a win-win for all yeah. of us. Yeah, and we don't we don't flood your inbox. It's not like every no. day. It's when important very, shit comes available. We sprinkle your inbox. We very just careful. It. Yes. Very selective. Very precious. It's not it's... out now porn. It's just like a little salacious <laughs> temptation. Once in a while. We should be clear. We should be clear. There will be no porn sent to your email. Yes. Results not guaranteed. <laughs> not even theological porn. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, are we ready to jump into uh, this episode's film? In our film Movie series? number two. Yeah. Movie number two. And this film, I think we announced it. Hopefully, we remember to announce it last episode. So our listeners had an opportunity to watch it. But um, Katie, since this was your choice, you want to kind of kick us off and explain why this was your choice and all that? Sure. So uh, it's The Man from Earth. It's written by Jerome Bixby. 
Uh, I watched this, I think, on a lark about 10 years ago, a few years after it came out. And I was somewhat captivated by it. I like the kind of low budget, just sit around and talk. It felt that felt very at home to me. It's it's technically sci-fi and I'm uh, love sci-fi, but it's not really. It's just, it's really philosophical and conversation. Uh, it made me think about questions kind of in a big way. Um, so spoiler alert, y'all. If you haven't watched the movie, Lots we're going to completely spoil the movie for you. Go watch it before you listen to the rest of this episode if you don't want it spoiled. That being said, I think you can actually probably listen to this whole episode and enjoy it and then go back and watch the movie. Probably. Um, as well. So it's not a flawless movie, but it asks some theological questions um, in a in a good way, I think, in an interesting way, especially for being made for like $200,000. Uh-huh. Just a, a little bit of background about the movie that may be helpful. Um, so yeah, it was written by Jerome Bixby. He died, I want to say in 1998. And he literally, he finished the script on his deathbed and he had worked on wow. it for decades. And so he he wrote some episodes of the original Star Trek like Mirror Mirror. He kicked off the whole Mirror Mirror universe. Classic episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And a couple of others. And he's a prolific short story writer. So I think it's kind of an interesting story on how this, uh, on how the movie got made. So it's not like my, kind of like you, Keith, with Mary Magdalene. It's not like my favorite, favorite movie, but I thought it was an interesting one for talking about here. And it was fun to rewatch it over. I hadn't seen it in about 10 years. So it was fun to rewatch it uh, over over the weekend. And I introduced my spouse to it. So he got to... Watch it with me to for for his bane or his blessing. So, yeah. What what about y'all? First time, first time virgins watching this movie. How how was it? Uh, I was deflowered. I, yes. I I okay. I so I liked where it was going, and then for me, I it took a turn that I didn't like. So I liked the setup. I liked the simplicity of like, okay, so if you're gonna make a movie for two hundred thousand dollars. You're going to sit around a room basically and talk. Like the script better be good. The premise, I mean, it better, it be, there yeah, better be something. Be yeah, yeah the, there better be something that draws me in and makes me want to watch it for an hour and a half. And there was some of that initially when, when, it, when the, um, there was a, a phrase that was a playoff C.S. Lewis's Liar, Lord, Lunatic, mm-hmm. where, I, where I went, oh, this is where this is going. And I really did not like it after that, um, to be honest I with you. Say, I don't know this phrase by C.S. Lewis, and I don't remember okay, what so, in the movie. So, okay, so yeah, since everyone's watched it, we're hoping you watched it. Um, there's a Cro-Magnum, I think, person who, is, who lives, has been living for 14,000 years. 14, years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Based on a true story. Yeah. Based on a true story. Keith is that person. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, by the way, guys, I need to make an announcement before we go any further. <laughs> I... I'm a 14,000-year-old Jesus caveman. And uh, I just, I need <laughs> to say this. I need to let it out. That's our new pillow yeah. right there. <laughs> and so I, okay, so this, this person lives and, and so he has all the ramifications of not dying and knowing everyone that, everyone that he knows dies. And so he's, he's been living through culture and culture and culture, okay? And so they start asking, uh, he's leaving some university, I'm guessing, where he teaches with a, a fellow colleagues who are all there and he's disclosing this to them. And so they're asking various questions based on their expertise in the field they're in. So there's a biologist, an anthropologist, there's an art history, I think, uh, professor, and so on. And so he's explaining all this. And so I, one of the other professors says, oh, you're either a caveman, a lunatic, or a liar. Oh. Which is based on C.S. Lewis's Jesus was either the Lord, what? a lunatic, or a liar. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so you got to pick. 
Yeah, yeah you got to pick one of them. And so, and then I was like, oh, this is going to somehow be about Jesus. And I was so sure turned thing. off by that at that yeah. point. And I was just like, ah, this could have gone kind of a cool way. Because they were asking cool questions where it'd be like, okay, you know, you ask the question, would you like to live forever? And, and most people would be like, oh yeah, I'd like to live forever. Okay, so what are some of the, some of the implications of that? And so it goes through those things and you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think that maybe he wouldn't know all this information because he's always a product of his culture and his time. And so that was interesting. But then when it went the route of like, he became the inspiration for Jesus, it was just like, uh, yeah. yeah, spoiler alert. I didn't want, that's where spo- it goes, yeah. Well, yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. And then, and then having his like, like the ending to me, if you told me that this is going to sound really <laughs> mean, mean to the guy's work, if you told me that the guy wrote the ending on his deathbed and like rushed it, I'd be like, okay, that makes yeah, sense. I believe because that like, like all of a sudden, like the psychology professor is his son and he drops dead and the guy doesn't even cry and then he leaves. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I found the ending you a little too, but you killed yeah. your own son and oh well. <laughs> I'll be back for the funeral. See you guys later. Well, I didn't oh. kill him. I mean, he died of a heart <laughs> yes, attack, right? When it, he's, 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 he's blowing death, his yeah. mind. He's, first of all, he's an old yeah. fat man. He's an old fat man. It was and super he's, recognizable he's character. His freaky mind with a, with then, a known with a known heart disease, and and right, I couldn't get over the fact right. that that guy was from Office Space. Uh-huh. And so all I thought of is, is the, <laughs> he jumped to conclusions. He's the jump to conclusions guy. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch all that. Yeah. So, it's also funny too that some of the actors are actually from Star Trek. And yeah. and that one of the characters at the end says, I'm gonna go home and watch Star Trek. And I'm like, Yeah, be sure to watch the episode that you're in. Yeah, he plays Kern and TNG. Yeah. Worf's brother. Yeah, there's two of them. The psychologist is was um was he a was he a doctor or was he like a uh a Ferengi or something? I'm trying to remember who he was. Oh, I don't I don't remember, but and John Billingsley is a really famous character actor and he played Flox in uh Enterprise. That was the doctor in Enterprise. Yeah. That, thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. who it was. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to. Can I? Can I admit something? I've never. I've never watched a single episode of Star Trek or a movie. And the greatest American hero was in it also. Although I felt yeah. he was wasted. His talents were wasted in this. He. He's. He was much better actor than. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought his part was a little like like every kind of all the characters. It's it set up. I, I felt like it was set up to be a play. Oh, and I was going to say it feels like a stage play, like like a college. It feels like a stage play. Yeah, like a college group got together and mm-hmm. did a little stage play. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, there's some, you know, there's definitely some low budget, um, you know, choices that were made uh, to to kind of make the play the play. I call it a play the, to make the movie work. Um, and so, yeah. So, Keith, what were what, what about you? What was your kind of initial react deflowering experience with the movie? I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say, I really did not like the film. Um, no, but I, but I want to be. I'm trying to be gracious. So, like the things that I appreciate about it. In fact, as you were talking about it, Katie, I, I had, I realized like, if this had been, instead of a movie, if this had been like a podcast where somebody said, Hey, what if? And then there was about like four or five people sitting around talking back and forth about some of the same exact things. It might have been like, wow, this is interesting, but trying, trying to take it seriously as, you know, a guy is after 10 years of knowing all of these people, they've known him for 10 years. And he's suddenly retiring and going away. And they come over to his house for going away party. And he says, oh, by the way, everybody, I'm a 14,000-year-old caveman. And this isn't a comedy. Like, what? I'm just not believing it. And their reactions to me aren't believable. It, It felt to me like, I was even thinking too, like as I'm watching it too, like, I think they asked him, 
in this in this dialogue as they're sitting around the living room talking. Um, I think they must ask him at least four times in different ways. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in religion? Do you have any faith? Do you think there's a God? Like, I'm like, why do you keep asking him the same question in different ways? Oh, he's already told you. And then I'm also then thinking, you've known this guy for 10 years and none of you have ever had these conversations, any kind of similar conversation at all. Like, if I know someone for 10 years, I kind of already know where they're at on most basic things like this. Oh, I will say that's very realistic to a college campus setting. Okay. <laughs> well, like, that's like not uh, sure you unless you're in the theology department. Yeah. Well, then why, then why does he feel obligated to talk to them and tell them? I'm assuming he doesn't do this every 10 years with everyone he meets. No, no he says so, he's the first time he's ever yeah. tried to do He said he wanted to say goodbye as himself. Yeah, so part so of the premise like, is like he time. doesn't... Yeah, part of the premise, just for, for listeners in case you haven't seen it, is that he doesn't age. Like his, his aging stopped about age 35 or 40. And so he moves on about every 10 years when people notice that he doesn't start to age. Right. Um, so I definitely agree. Like those, I think all those flaws are in there and some of the conversation felt a little artificial. The, the part that I really enjoyed about the movie, I, I really like movies and I, I read and watch a lot of like vampire and this kind of, any, yeah. any kind of trope that where someone lives a long time and they have a different perspective. I just really enjoy that kind of genre. So what yeah. I loved about this, because my spouse also, when we took a walk after the movie, he was like, there would totally be pictures of him from other yearbooks and stuff. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, right, but the movie's not about that. The movie is about asking you to suspend your disbelief about all that stuff and get into the topics. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like the part of the movie that I actually um, that I actually appreciated. And the other part was, I, I think they often, movies, books, fiction that has someone lives for a really long time, makes them almost omniscient. Uh-huh. It makes them, they, they make them into a superhero. And he's very clear to say, I'm one person with one perspective with one life. And I can't yeah. ever know more than the experts in the field around me. I can know a lot, but I can't. He was like, I, I, I'm not omniscient. And, right. and and he makes a point to say, I keep on making the same mistakes over and over again, no matter how long I've lived. And I found that to be very true to the human experience. Um, and it right. reminded me of when Paul says, you know, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Yeah. Too, the living forever yeah. is no guarantee that you become smarter. Right. And you then the, become the, wiser. Yeah, obviously the, the, part, the parts of the film that are probably going to be most interesting to um, listeners is when they get to the part about sort of this, the big shock, aha revelation, even, even more shocking than I'm a 14,000 year old caveman. Oh, it does. It, it doesn't stop there. Uh, and that he met Buddha and all this other stuff. Uh, like when he, when he, okay, I'm going to say when he, when he started to say the thing about meeting Buddha, I, I, I turned to Wendy and I said, this is like Forrest Gump. Is it going to turn into like, and then yeah. I met Kennedy, and then I met Nixon, and then I was there in World War One, and, and then World I was at Watergate, <laughs> and I was at Watergate, like, and I met Elvis, and I was I was a roadie for Elvis, and then like, and thankfully, thank God, it did not go there, but but in a way, it kind of did. It's sort of like, okay, just because you lived a long time, it doesn't. It, it's just odd that you would happen to be in the right place at the right time in these right. I mean, the other other thing I thought too was like. um, one easy way he could have totally sold what he was saying to these to his friends sitting there is like to just start breaking out, uh, you know, like just popcorn style, like you know, boom, 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 like talk, say something in German, in Aramaic, in Greek, in Latin, in French, in Italian, in German, things that he languages he would have had to have learned and have spoken for decades in order to survive as long as he has. 
that would have sold the deal like that. Like, who can do that? Who can speak in Aramaic and Latin and Greek and French and German and Italian and Chinese and all these other languages that, he, again, he would have had to have been proficient in. And at no point, he doesn't even have an accent. Like, <laughs> I'm just I think you're supposed, to, you're supposed to suspend your disbelief on, on the plot. I know. Holes. That's my problem. I'm sorry. That, that. <laughs> well, you are, but he's also not Superman. You, you do forget languages. You actually don't retain those. Like his human brain is still a human brain. So he's not going to, re- if he knew a language 2,000 years ago, he's not going to remember it. And they ask him, like, do you remember your original language? He's like, oh, like a few words. Yeah. Right. And so you like, just because he acquired a language. Which is true. I, I, I was, yeah, I mean, I was pro- fairly proficient in Spanish and now I'm, I speak like a kindergarten things. level. You could well, still sure. say a few things. But it's gone down from like, probably like a sixth or seventh grade reading level to like a kindergarten reading level. Right, right. Okay. All right. Anyway, so, but then, then the big, the big aha moment comes when he basically says that, uh, he happened to be hanging around in Jerusalem, first century, and decided to bring the teachings of the Buddha to a handful of fishermen in, uh, Jerusalem. Well, yeah. And then, and as a the protest next thing, against the Roman Empire that had become a killing machine. Right. Now that part I liked. That yeah, part it was I like, really appreciated that. That was cool. And, and I will say, yes, there were plenty of things that he did say that I thought, well, that's true. Um, like, like when he was talking about the ways in which later on, um, you know, church and religious leaders, uh, mythologized things and, and twisted things for their own advantage to have power and control over people, right? Um, focusing on sin and sacraments and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that, that part I agree with. So there's plenty of stuff that was in there that I was like, well, he got that right. Um, so I mean, there, there's, I guess, plenty of stuff that I think our listeners, um, when they get to that part of it, you know, with discussions about Christianity and religion and faith and, um, how it's been politicized and mythologized and, uh, weaponized and all that kind of stuff. I think people would go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can, uh, agree with some of that. Yeah. And, I, I do like the question. Again, I didn't hate everything about the film. Don't get me wrong. I, I liked the direction it was going. I can see why Katie picked it. Um, because it, it should start conversations. I like, um, it kind of parallels with something. And I'm only pulling this together because our next film will be my choice, which will be from, of course, Tolkien. Uh, in, in Middle Earth, the elves are said to have the curse or the men have the, um, like the blessing of dying. And so we think of, we think of that as like kind of counterintuitive. But I think what this film and, you know, if we, you know, explore, you know, the elves who are basically immortal in Middle Earth, if you are living 14,000 years, everyone you know and love dies in front of you or you just bail on them like he did. Like, you know, it's revealed that, you know, one of the professors there is his son. And so he basically, he has to become... He either has to endure watching everyone he loves die or he bails on them. And so would you want to live forever? Uh, you know, we have it in our notes. Katie, I think you put it in there. And I, I said, not unless everyone else joins me because I don't want that burden. I don't want that. It's like a curse to, to, you know, to live that long. So I think that opens up a very interesting thought experiment of I, I would I would hate to have to endure all of that on my own and be forced to live a life where you either go through excruciating pain 
Or you shut everything off and just shove shit down. Right. Which as men, that's what we're good at. So, you know, maybe it yeah. wouldn't be too bad of a problem. <laughs> well, I thought like Highland Highlander does that. Doesn't Highlander that's wasn't that one of the part the plots of the movie Highlander where he he's eternal, he's he's been alive since, you know, ancient times and he also keeps reinventing himself and his wives they die and he has to watch they get old and die and he stays young and all of that. So I mean we've seen that kind of thing dealt with before. Uh, it is an interesting question, you know, about living forever and stuff. Again, I, I can't help, you know, I, I, I just thinking about the movie, I can't help like thinking of, in fact, to be honest, I couldn't sleep last night because I was this, I was running this over my head, like this movie, like trying to fix it or change it. Like, oh, why didn't they do this? Or should we, like, like I would have, okay. So if, if this older um, professor who's the psychiatrist slash psychologist, they can't make up their mind, but anyway, he's a psychologist, psychiatrist character if this is his son and they teach at the same university then it's kind of like well obviously he chose that university because i mean it's not randomly accidental that oh look at that there's one of my kids like it feels like he would have gone there specifically to be near his son and have a connection and relationship with his son that 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 was part of the choice of being at that particular school and yes, but I don't feel... Yeah, I think that's a kind of an open question in the movie. Yeah, but I don't feel... I mean, I would have... I guess what I'm saying is I would have appreciated... Uh, I mean, the only tenderness you get is when he run, when he finds out that the guy's wife died, he runs out in the, into the, you know, parking lot or whatever and, and says, hey, I just... I didn't know about Mary, your wife. I'm so sorry. You know, that was nice. And then he takes the gun away from him. Like, that was kind of cool. But that's the only amount of sort of like any amount of tenderness or any... Thing at all that he cares about this person. Oh yeah, um, and like I, I didn't get the feeling. I mean, I got the feeling towards him that he cares about him, but um, definitely, definitely not. I don't, I don't care about that as a watcher. Actually, <laughs> like I was, yeah. I'm in it for the ideas. Like I don't care about their human relationships. But that would that would that would play into the fact that he's been living for fourteen thousand years, and yeah. after that long, you wouldn't. He's learned. I, right? I think there is a point to the film about like you would learn to detach yes. from the things you love. Because yes. they all end up dying. So after, I mean, I, maybe his first wife or whatever, like he <laughs> mourned her death in the second and third and fourth. And then it's like, well, fuck, I'm not, I'm not getting close to people. Right. Yes. I, I, I understand that. Yes. And I think the film has a challenge, which they, which they tried to overcome in that. Cause, cause if, if that's all they showed you about the character, I think you would be like, what a dick. Right. You, it's hard to emotionally connect to a character who is emotionally distant to his own children and all that. So that's, I think this is the reason why there's a scene that happens that otherwise is sort of like, why is that in there? When he gets the phone call and it's the uh, student who's crying because her, her, her parents are sick or something. And, and she has to go to the hospital and she's worried about whether or not she passed the test. And you can see that she got a D and he lies and said, you got it. You passed. You got a C plus. plus so yeah. that's like, oh, see, see, he's really a nice guy. That's the only reason for that scene to be in the film. Because everything else you're about to see is him emotionally detaching himself from all the wives and children that he's had and why he's moved on. But and, I think that would be accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just saying yeah. that that's why you need a scene like that. Otherwise, the audience is going to be like, what a dick. Oh, that's, oh, so I'm like, I'm kind of wondering, I'm just, I'm just curious about like the, <laughs> <laughs> the gender nature of watching this show, of watching this movie, because I'm like, I watch show, I watch movies about men who are dicks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Most superhero movies, yes. men are yes. dicks. 
That's most, true. Uh, most action movies, men are dicks and they're way worse dicks than this guy. He's just a little right. emotionally detached. I can deal with that. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> most of my life is spent around men who are being dicks. Not yes. you guys, but you know, like just in general. So <laughs> the last, not a last couple of years have been good, Katie. <laughs> yes. and and that's not true. But actually, most, most men in my life are really awesome. But you know what I mean? Like we're, right? We're, we're yeah, around people no, I, who are emotionally traumatized and, and dicks all the time. Yes. Well, um, yeah, well, let, let's talk about some of the ideas of the movie. So we, I think we've kind of, you know, analyzed and I'm in total agreement. Like there's, there's, there's kind of flaws. There, there's low budgetness um, in this movie and kind of some flaws. Um, and I do imagine it like imagining it as a play is super interesting to me. But some of the ideas I think that are that are brought forward are um, kind of this idea of like, what is it to live forever? Is that a price that anyone would want to pay? And then I know we've talked about on on episodes here on podcast episodes. Um, does it make a difference if Jesus um, didn't die on the cross? Does it make a difference if um, if Jesus isn't the the creation myth that? we've been told that Jesus is. Um, does that make a difference to our kind of personal faith? Does that make a difference to, how, would that make a difference? Um, and then I, I think it's interesting to think about the idea of like Jesus going to India, coming back, because that's a popular myth I hear all the time. Yes. And this movie really yes. capitalized on, on a way that yes. I think is super interesting and super troubling. And Thank so like, you. Please, does that make let's a talk difference? about this. Because I agree with you. I, I am so sick of it. In fact, actually, I think I'm going back. We had an episode where Jamal brought this up about, oh, there's a guy and he went to a, a, a monastery and found a book or a scroll or something that talked about Jesus and this is proof. And the, so I, I, I looked it up and I'm like, oh, no, this is, has been debunked like in 1940. It's a yeah. complete fabrication. It's total bullshit. Never happened. Sold a lot of books for that guy, though. Great idea. But yeah, but yet the myth persists. And yeah. so why uh, is that myth sexy? Why is that myth sexy that Jesus learns all of his teachings, not from Judaism, but from right. India? Well, I, 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 to me, I, it feels like it, it's a way of trying to explain something that lots of people have noticed that, hey, you know, uh, here's these teachings that, of the Buddha, right? That seem really similar to things that Jesus says. and to me, it feels like a way of reconciling that. Like, wow. So, you know, if, if Buddha said this like four or 500 years before Jesus in a completely different place, and then Jesus seems to be saying very similar things. Um, and if you couple that with the fact, and, and the movie brings this out too, that there's this gap uh, in the gospels between the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, like, well, what was he doing in the middle there? So those two things together seem to be like, well, um, he must he have went must, to India. <laughs> he must have traveled to India as a teenager and joined a Buddhist, um, you know, um, monastery and studied the teachings of the Buddha and then brought it back, you know, uh, and, and, and retooled it, you know, in it for a Judaist, uh, Jewish audience. So, but I think that's unnecessary personally. Like when I, when I, I, so I guess I think that's where it probably comes from. But, um, I also, because I was going down the rabbit hole, a while back to try to kind of like look at this myself too. I, I found, I wrote a blog post on this that, um, I mean, in the first century, there was something called the Silk Road. There was a lot of trading between Asia and uh, cultures that were very well, who understood Buddhism and the teachings of the Buddha. Um, they were going back and forth into Rome, into Jerusalem. Um, and so it's, it, it's not unusual to think that they were trading in more than just 
spices, um, that they might have, have conversations and shared ideas and concepts um, that would have flowed just as freely as you know the things on the trade route. So it's I don't think we need to come up with some kind of an idea. Not only that, I, I don't know why it's impossible to think that Jesus couldn't have just you know had an original thought or or, or come upon these teachings on his own. Uh, had the same revelations that Buddha did, but in a different place, uh, that they don't have to have copied from each other's notes to have arrived at some of the same conclusions. But yeah, it seems, it seems kind of, I mean, I don't want to discredit people's intellect, but it seems kind of lazy to me. And like, if you, if you, and kind of, is there some anti-Semitism there? Because it seems like, like in mystical Judaism, in rabbinic Judaism, Jesus fits kind of right in there, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like, I think we have a distorted view and picture of what Judaism is. We've mm-hmm. discussed it a lot on this show. And Judaism, like any faith, is not like this monovocal, this is Judaism. And, yeah. and, and you just, you know, like it's all <laughs> fundamentalist, rigid, law based. God is angry. Yahweh's going to kill everyone. It's like, okay, there are those stories, but, but, those stories are included for a variety of reasons and, and, and the interpretations of those are as, as numerous or even more numerous than the amount of Jews on the, on the earth. Like they have a lot yes. of interpretations and that's what, you know, uh, midrash is. They're, they're discussing all these things. And so when, when I study Jesus' teachings in life, it's like, yes, there are a lot of similarities between Buddhism and Jesus. However, there's a lot of, like in all the mystical traditions, Islam, you know, Sufism, Hinduism, yeah. <clears throat> Buddhism, mystical understanding of Judaism, mystical understanding of Christianity. All those thoughts are in all of them. So why yeah. do we need Jesus traveling thousands of miles to go sit with Buddha under a Bodhi tree and then come back? You know, I know the time difference, but we don't need that. Jesus fits right into his rabbinic tradition within Judaism itself. Yeah. And so I think that the anti-Judaism um, and, uh, is there, and I, I find it present in the a little more obliquely than was present like in the Mary Magdalene movie, but they're both kind of cut from the same cloth of it's, it's a generally accepted thing to do when we're talking about the person of Jesus within Christianity. Um, and it's just, it's part of the fabric of, of a lot of how Christianity has been built. I mean, I think we talked, I, I know I mentioned this, I can't, I think when we were doing our Easter episode maybe this maybe just been for the patrons so a little plug for the patron group um <laughs> i think when matt and derek and i were talking about easter one of the reasons christians eat ham on easter is because it's it's a way to say we're not jewish yeah f you you know yeah yeah so this is kind of <laughs> built great. into christianity um in such a way but i i did find it was a little bit of lazy writing and a, and a generalized statement when he was like oh the old testament is just this and then the the parts of the new parts of the new testament where they actually get my teachings are, are really oh, cool I forgot. they're really yes. buddhist that's right, right. And so again and, and right. like mad i find that unnecessary um that that we can root jesus within his own jewish context um and so i find it interesting i i just find it interesting and and harmful i guess over and over again in so many cultural depictions of jesus in his ancient context is that they have to, de- they try to separate him from Jewishness. So, you know, in scholarship after war- post World War II and the, the horrors of the Holocaust woke scholars up to the ways that they were replicating this anti-Judaism over and over and over. So there's been a lot of work in scholarship to 
fix that. And we're not all the way there yet. Um, it, it still happens all the time. So I think that's an interesting kind of part of the movie. Um, you know, the parallels between Jesus and Buddha, um, I find just really interesting. And uh, for a while, I used for a devotional, the, um, there was a parallel sayings book. Yeah, and I used that. Yeah, by Borg was one of the editors, and I used that kind of as a as a devotional. And I found Buddhism to probably be my closest ally in my in my Christian journey. Um, And so I so there was parts of it that I loved, and then parts of it that were challenging. Yeah, Uh, I I wanted to also say though there were there were some things that were said in the film too that I felt like the scholarship was suspicious (laughs) or. Um, just like not, or, or just unnecessarily odd. So the two things that jumped to my mind are one, his comment that they didn't use nails. They just tied him with ropes. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's so much evidence that Romans nailed everybody to a cross. It's like, why is that? Why did you need to pull that, that oh, detail? No, there is there? some truth to that. Not every, that they would use ropes commonly and not nails. I think both methods were used. Right. I well, I, I it's okay. I agree. But it's like he acts as if that he's he, the way he says it is like, oh, nails and crowns of thorns make for good drama or something, but they just tied me there. As if, oh, that's a myth that they Romans use nails. I'm like, what the hell? That's so dumb. And then um and then the other thing is when he talks about his name, you know, Jesus. Did you use the name Jesus? No, I used my name John, which was, you know, Johanine, and Johanine got turned in like, no. Jesus is Joshua. It's Josh. It's Joshua. It's Joshua. It's it's not John. It's he got Joshua. eventually, but I found that a little unnecessary too. That's what I'm saying. Is like yeah. why if you're gonna show off that oh it's not Jesus, it was I used the name, then say Joshua because Although that's I, what it is. Why do why do you so. act as if you're teaching us that oh no Jesus backs up to a misunderstanding of the name of John? Like what? So. I think that that's actually, I, if I'm in the brain of the writer, which I'm not. So I, I, again, I found, I agree with you. I found that a little unnecessary, but I think it's um, capitalizing on the the thought that John the Baptist and the Jesus movement were close, either closely allied or perhaps one and the same. And yeah. that there's some slippage between John the Baptist and Jesus. Yeah. As a, as a story, like, or were they the same historical person? That's right. what I actually no. kind of took away from that. Okay. Well, I, I think no, it's so, no, not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I have heard, I've never, I don't think, honestly, I've ever heard a, a scholar say that they genuinely think there's any reason that Jesus or, and John the Baptist were the same person. But I have heard scholarship that I think is, you know, compelling or at least interesting that, that Jesus was a direct disciple of John the Baptist and that after John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus kind of took the mantle. Um, and, the, and you even see some evidence of that in the Gospels where basically John's disciples kind of become Jesus' disciples, right? They, they were following John the Baptist. Now they follow Jesus. Um, the fact that Jesus is baptized by John could also be an example of him being baptized by John and therefore being becoming a disciple of John. Um, so I think, I think there's something to that. That's interesting, this idea that Jesus was initially uh, a follower of John the Baptist and then carried the, carried the torch after that. That's interesting. Well, you know, another thing we see in the movie is that there's a, the reaction of the art historian is really, really strong, that she's a devout Christian. 
Um, and she's, she responds very poorly to this idea that he could be Jesus and she makes him kind of um, recant a little bit um, <laughs> because he cares for her. He, he does uh, from time to time throughout this revelation. Um, but I think it may be interesting to talk about like d- what kind of difference would, let's suppose, kind of suspend our disbelief and suppose that this story is true. What difference would it make in our personal journeys? What difference would it make, you know, for listeners, I'm really curious for you guys, if you found out that Jesus was not a divine savior, if you could just sort of found out without a doubt that Jesus is not a kind of this divine being, but solely human, a special human, but solely human. And his real purpose was teaching. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation. So we've talked about those ideas kind of compartmentalized um, for sure, you know, in, in different episodes. So I'm kind of curious to revisit that here. So in this in this kind of fictional world, would it make a difference? What would what would be the impact? I would say there'd be they would be impactful, but probably not for the same reasons most I don't know, I want I don't want to say most of our listeners, but most Christians would say. Like I don't think of Jesus as exclusive like the exclusive divine only son of God. Any, any difference than us. Now, if Jesus was solely human and there's no divinity within Jesus, I would say that then means there's no divinity within us. And so that would impact me and I would become like an atheistic naturalist, you know, in my philosophy. And, uh, I would have less hope of like a happy ending posthumously, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I don't think it would impact my ethics or morals in the way I treat others. So, but, but I would have less, I would have less peace, but only because then I would say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm just atoms and cells and I will die and my consciousness will die with my body. Um, but not because Jesus is not the son of God or divin, but because, you know, if, if Jesus isn't, then I'm not. And if Jesus is, then I am, you know? So does that make sense? Like, I I don't see Jesus as the only, as the only divine figure. I don't see Jesus any different than the rest of us. Yeah. I think, I think, first of all, it's a great question to ask. And it's definitely a question that I'm sure our listeners, um, if they haven't wrestled with it yet, they're about to, because we're we're going there. We're forcing Um, them. But it's a great question to say, to ask, like, you know, would it make, what kind of an impact would it make? What kind of difference would it make if, if you could know for a fact that Jesus was just a guy and the point was just teaching not, you know, for God, for God in the flesh to die on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice, whatever. So uh, it's a good question because it's sort of like, well, it depends on who you are. Because to me, it's not a huge thing because I, I think I've processed to the point where I'm kind of, that's kind of where I am. Like, I kind of feel like, uh, I kind of turn the corner where I personally do feel like that. So, so that question, uh, someone just asked me this a couple of weeks ago, like, is Jesus God? And I was like, in the same way that you and I are, you know, like, so this idea that Jesus is a, a sort of a special kind of God in the flesh kind of a thing. Um, I've moved away from that to being more like, no, we all are God, God, we are all in Christ. Christ is in all. It's impossible to, to live and be alive and exist and not be connected to God because that's, you know, that I, I kind of, I'm moving into this idea of like 
there's one one consciousness that is God, and we all share in this sort of collective uh, consciousness as expressions of God in in our physical form. So for me, this idea is like, well, yeah, um, I'm totally fine with that. But you know, me 20 years ago, Southern Baptist, you know, Christian Keith uh, would have freaked out and would have been like, oh hell no. This is heresy and wrong and screwy and this is demonic and, you know, or like you see the character in the film, right? This woman is having a, a, an emotional, psychological meltdown with, she keeps saying, you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. And you can see like she is really, this is really rocking her world. But this is exactly the kind of thing that we all go through if we're going through our deconstruction. I mean, the first time I ever, I was reading a Marcus Borg book. Right. And, and Marcus Borg in one of his books started to push me in this direction before I was really ready for it. And it scared the hell out of me. I was like, Whoa, what, what if this is true? What if, what if Jesus is no more divine than I am or anyone else's? Um, what if he's just like us? Right. And that's, it's a very scary thing to consider if all your life you've built your whole identity and faith on the idea that, Oh no, he is unique and different and. Uh, in ways that we're not. So, so I, I think I have a, a maybe a slightly, but very only slightly higher Christology. Um, so for me, I think the difference would be, you know, if I if I could know definitively that Jesus was really a fourteen thousand year old Cro-Magnon man. Which, as I say it, it's kind of fun to just say it. Jesus was a caveman. Right. <laughs> it feels like a bad sitcom when I say it. It does. But if I, if I knew that definitively and that the, the teachings were only teachings and they're powerful teachings, I would definitely withdraw completely from institutionalism. Right. And I'm, I'm right now part of institute. I mean, I'm part of institutionalized yeah. religion, right? I'm, I mean, um, that's partially why I have, because yeah, I, I, yeah, have, right? so, I have turned that corner and I'm like, I don't see a lot of value in that anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't think, so I don't think there's a, for me, there's not a corner to turn. There's questions to ask. Uh-huh. So I don't like, uh, there's no goal here yeah. uh, for, for me um, uh, around it. But, you know, if, if I knew that to be true, I would, I would definitely withdraw from kind of any kind of institutionalism um, and it would probably be a, I would probably be an unhappy secular humanist. I think is probably what I would, uh, what I would be. Um, so where so are I, you on this? Where, yeah, where do so you I, land on this? You know, it's interesting because in my kind of in my metaphysical work, I've been encouraged to think of myself as a coworker with Jesus. Um, but I definitely see Jesus like kind of the, in the woo-woo world, we use the term like ascended beings a lot. Then ascended being like someone, someone who's maybe doesn't need to become reincarnated again. Um, and so I think that Jesus to me is more than an ascended being. He's, he's not like first among equals. Um, the Christ spirit is, is, is more elevated, I guess, than that in my own, uh, my own theology. Yet it's the humanness of Jesus that I really, um, am passionate about. I guess that Jesus has presented in the New Testament. Um, who, who cared so much about the physical lives of those, you know, in his sphere. Um, and so I, I'm not quite comfortable saying Jesus was just a guy who got a lot of things right. Like there's something a little more um, in there for me. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure quite of the words for that uh, right now. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I think um, I've gone back and forth on it personally. 
um, a whole lot. And it's almost like, depending on the day <laughs> you ask me the question, I might have a different answer on it. Yeah, because I, I so, so what's been helpful for me is also, and whether it's right or wrong or good or bad, I don't know, but what's helped me, I think, is I've started moving. I sort of think of Jesus as the guy. Jesus is the guy who I think had got a lot of things right, who had revelation, who had, uh, just like Buddha did, just like Black Elk, just like Rumi, just like many other people have throughout history, many mystics, many, um, people who have had sort of spiritual, uh, revelation or realizations and stuff. So, so I definitely, I, I see Jesus as that, but then I see Christ as something transcending that. So I used to use language like that I'm connecting to Jesus, right? And sort of in my own spiritual experience today. But now I think that it's more accurate, at least in the way I conceive of it, that I'm not really having any kind of connection with Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, that I am having a spiritual connection and experiences with Christ. And that the Christ is more of like this sort of spiritual reality that I think Jesus definitely embodied. And I would even argue that Jesus embodied it in a way that is special or unique or, and, and exceptional much more than I, than I have or could. So, so on one level, it's sort of like to say, like, you know, it's, I think it's wrong to have this idea of like, oh, Jesus was just a man. Well, just a man any more than Mother Teresa was just a woman. Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's lots of people who are, yeah, they're just people. But some people are like exceptional or like, man, wow. I, I don't know that I could ever reach these levels uh, of love or compassion or insight or wisdom that, that some people have. And so I wouldn't say Jesus is just a person, just a man, just a human being. Uh, in sort of a diminishing way, I would say, well, no, he's an exceptional person. Um, but for me, anyway, it's been helpful to to draw a distinction between Jesus and Christ. Like Richard Rohr always says, you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. And the more I've sort of been able to approach Jesus in that way and Christ in a different way, at least that's where I am today. That's where I, how I approach it today. Yeah, I think of um, I think of Jesus as one who leaned into his Christ nature probably better than anyone. Just in this, but, but in a similar way that the Buddha leaned into his Buddha nature better than anyone. And in the Mahayana tradition in Buddhism, um, you know, we have bodhisattvas, which are those who are kind of people who, who aid in helping others realize their own enlightenment. And I see Jesus as a figure like that, but we are all in, I mean, in that tradition, we're all thought of as little Buddhas and little Christs. Yeah. yeah. And so we all have the capability and the um, potential to lean into our Christ nature in the way that Jesus did. And if, you know, for me, I see it as an ongoing process. It sort of raises the question of like, did Jesus always lean into his Christ nature? And I would yeah. probably suggest as a 14 year old kid with 
hormones. He probably told his mom to fuck off. I don't know. I mean, things like that, like, or muttered shit under his breath or yeah. yeah. So, but that Jesus does on that long trip to India. Oh yeah, dude, man. Shit. Blisters on his feet, hungry. Right. Come on. What are we yeah. going there yet? He hasn't, he hasn't had any baklava for a while or whatever. This camel um, really stinks. Yeah. <laughs> But, but I don't need that Jesus. I don't need um, yeah. sanitary Jesus. Yeah, you know, and I don't. I don't right. know what good that. I mean, a sanitary life is a boring life anyway. So uh, the the docetic Jesus of most <laughs> most Christianity I was familiar with, where Jesus is like fully human, but not really. You know, kind, you know, kind of. Yeah. But you know, they 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 wouldn't put it in those words because that's technically a heresy. But it's they act as if. Uh, it's like a whitewashed Jesus, and that Jesus to me is there's no there's there's nothing there. I mean, I like the I like the idea of a Jesus that grows and matures and um, comes to the realization of who he is in Christ. You know, it's not it's not something we we think about in the church, like Jesus realizing he's Christ, coming yes. into his understanding of Christ, and and if he calls us brothers and sisters, why can we not come into our realization? Of Christ, yeah, Our yeah, own, you know the Christ in us. And see, this is a great point. Um, there is, first of all, stuff that again most most people from the pulpit, pastors from the pulpit, will ignore. I've never heard in life in my life a sermon on the passages in the Gospels that talk about Jesus growing and maturing in his faith. Right? Like we want a Jesus that is from from the infant baby Jesus. He is fully God, fully Christ, and he knows who he is, and he has all these. You know, it's like rather than we're very, it seems like we're very uncomfortable with the idea that that it took a while for Jesus himself to figure out and to come into his sonship or Christ like Christ likeness. Because again, there is a progression. Bart Ehrman has done a lot of written some great books on this, but there's there's an obvious progression of Christology from from the Gospel of Mark and then going into Matthew, and certainly by the time you get to John, even in the writings of Paul. Jesus goes from being the Messiah to the Son of God to God to the one that created everything <laughs> from the beginning, who was with God and was God and one who fills everything in every way. But that that later language of Jesus being the Word made flesh or being the you know the, the Christ who fills everything in every way, who is all and is in all and all that, that isn't in Mark. Like you it, that took a time that took a while for those concepts to progress, even within Christianity. And then again, we also can see plenty of evidence that that Jesus' own awareness of the Christ in himself was something that took time for him to have an awareness of. Again, there's also this idea, and I'm very grateful Kenneth Tanner has talked about, about this quite a bit, you know, and so a lot of early Christian thinking and, uh, and writing was the idea that um, Jesus became Christ at either uh, the baptism when the Spirit of God, you know, the dove came on him, and that's when he became the Son of God, or the idea that resurrection that wasn't until he was resurrected that God made Jesus Christ. Um, that's the language that's used, um, and so it's it's it isn't the idea that Jesus was always forever Christ that he became or moved into or matured into. Uh, a sort of a Christ consciousness or Christ awareness or Christ identity. And again, all these things are in the New Testament. You can, and, and, and early Christian writing. So this isn't, 
I know it sounds heretical to a lot of us because a lot of this has been decided now, but the language of it and the, the, the progression of it is there. It's the evidence for it is right there. Yeah. I mean, I would say, so in my, in my circles, I hear Christ consciousness a lot and I confess, I never really know what it means. What does that mean? What I don't know mean? what a what lot of the metaphysical things mean, like if you're going to raise your consciousness or your vibration. Like, vibration uh, I, never know, yes. I never know what any of that vibration shit means. Vibration I can explain. Christ consciousness, though, people use it all the time, but I never actually hear it defined. Yeah, like, I, think it's, well, I think it means being it mean? less of a dick. <laughs> Just Doesn't to read mean, book. I mean, so I don't know. I think we all probably, you'd have to ask each person who's using it what way they meet they intend it. Like, I guess what I think of it, the way I just used it, I'm thinking of it as an awareness of the Christ that has always been in you. But but we're not always aware of it, you know? And I think you, I, that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know that Jesus, it's not that Jesus wasn't always Christ, but it, but I think he reached a place where he became conscious of it or aware of it. While alive. Yes. While alive, okay. Yes. That that yeah that makes that makes some sense to me um, more than I kind of hear. I, I think a lot of people use Christ consciousness as like an overarching feeling quite often, but not always defining kind of what that means or or how to how to how to be in that. So, and I'm very comfortable with the mystery. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, with the mystery of it all too, and so kind of thinking, you know, in the idea uh, in the ideas of the movie of the film, like I love it that it's kind of brought us to this location. Um, and thinking about these big ideas, but um, you know, I'm like, was can that was this individual? Did he reach this Christ consciousness? Doesn't seem like he did in the movie. I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> not in the movie. Not in the movie. Yeah. I don't think so. No, he, he seems, seems to too be against clo- all that. He seemed too closed off. Also, yeah, that's the move too and, often. But and we, which we've talked about, like I, I would understand, but um, yeah, he. I mean, for all of the dissection of the movie that we did in the first 15 or 20 minutes, like, I think this film obviously led to a good discussion, which is probably the point of the film. I, I, yeah, I'm, exactly. just guessing, I'm just guessing, like... <laughs> it's a good conversation. I mean, Katie, you put in the notes here, what, they had eight days of rehearsing? Yes. Any, anyone who's, you know, anyone who's created anything knows that there's going to be holes, there's going to be plot holes, there's going to be all that, but I think that that was allowable for the discussion that they wanted people to have. Yeah, I, so I think it's actually an extraordinary piece of writing. Um, like I said, it's not flawless and we can, um, we, can, we can find all the flaws in it and there are many, um, but it's the, the thought-provoking way to me of seeing one man's life over 14,000 years who's not the hero and not the anti-hero. He's just a person who's lived and seen some stuff. I love um, there's some clunky dialogue. There's the the guy that's the great American hero um, could have been written much better. Like like all of that's undoubtedly true. However, if you like this movie, there's a sequel, not written by Jerome Bixby uh, because he he had died, uh, but written by, by people that uh, like the movie. So the movie is actually like this kind of underground cult classic. There are people who are fanatical about it, who just love, love, love this movie. So they finally made a sequel. I saw it right somewhere in the middle of the pandemic when I was still in California. I watched it. And it's called The Man from Earth Holocene. I actually really recommend it. I I liked it as much or more um, than the first one. And in the sequel, it also has Vanessa Williams. And it also has Michael Dorn, who played Worf. You cannot lose by watching the sequel. If you're a Star Trek fan, you'll love it. It's the same guy, the same actor. Yeah, 
Yeah. And ha- has he aged? You, th- yes, that question yeah, shall exactly. be answered in, in the sequel. I <laughs> shall not. I saw the trailer, uh, I saw the trailer and he's aged a little bit. Yeah. Hey, this motherfucker's old. What happened? <laughs> I know. It's why, it's why you can't make any more Buffy's because the guy that plays no. Angel is <laughs> clearly not really old anymore. Yeah. David like, Boreanaz. Wait yeah. a second. Yeah. So I would also say, though, um, this film reminded me of a movie that I liked a whole lot better. That's also a science fiction film. And it's also a, a film made on a low budget. Uh, that's, that all takes place in a single house with a, like a cast of like 10 to 15, no, not 15, maybe 10 or 12 different characters who come for a dinner party and some crazy Twilight Zone kind of things happen. It's called Coherence. And I love that movie. That movie is awesome. And the cool thing about that movie that I, one of the reasons it drew me to even watch the film, I was reading something about the way the director for Coherence handled the dialogue. What he did was he got these different actors, again, like 10 or 11 actors. He gave them each index cards with their character, who their character was, all about their character. And for each scene would hand them a handful of like of cards of certain things they needed to say, but not where to say them. There was no script. And so they would do, he would just say action. And then people sitting around the table having, you know, having the dinner party, whatever. One character would say something that they were supposed to say. And then, and then you know, randomly, very organically, another character would hear that character saying something, not knowing what they were going to say, and then be like, oh, there's a line to what he said to what, what I'm supposed to talk about. So then they would jump in with their thing, like people really having a real conversation, right? And then because now they're talking about that, another person would go, oh, I think maybe that goes to what I'm supposed to say. And so they're all like kind of ad-libbing slash organically having a real conversation around the table based on who their character is and certain things that they're they're supposed to say in certain scenes, but without the director telling them when and how to say that. And it, man, it's just amazing. That that film blew my mind. So check that out. Is this a podcast about that that film or The Man from I think Iron's it should Keith? be. I think let's do another one. Let's do a bonus episode about Coherence because that movie... No, awesome. I, I got to say, I'm not a film. I'm not a film guy. But that's right. so this... stressful as an actor. <laughs> yeah, not right? Not that I'm an actor, but... Yeah. No. Well, I guess you have, have to either be really good at improv, any, right? Have you either of you taken any acting classes? No classes. No. Good I've done now. some acting. I've actually been. Go, I have an. I. You know what? If you go to IMDb, you can find my page. I have an IMDb page. I've been in several oh, yeah. short films. Yes. I'm not quitting my day job. I've not yet been discovered, so I'll let you know when I am. Have you met? <laughs> have I? No, I've been on the local news. Yeah, I've been on camera, but. Well. All right. Well, I, I thought that week. was a good. Dis- I thought that was a good discussion. Yeah. So. Uh, my film is something that most everyone has watched. You you do not have to watch it again unless you want to. No, no, uh, you have to. What are you saying? No, people have to watch it. That's the assignment. I'm assuming that everyone has seen The Fellowship of the Ring 35 times like I have, so that no. they don't. Do you Once. have hatch marks? Like, do you actually count? No, I don't. I can just assume that. Um, so yeah, if you've only watched The Fellowship of the Ring once, please watch it again. That'll be next week's film. And I guarantee, unless you're a Tolkien nerd like I am, this will be a deep dive conversation that you probably don't need to have, but you're going to. <laughs> uh, and most of that will be brought to you by Matthew DiStefano while the rest of us sit I, and I, go, mm, mm, No, 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 no. Wow. no I, yeah. I want... I want to hear the <laughs> themes that you have picked up on. I don't want to just blab on about Tolkien, as even though I could. That, that sounds fascinating, though. I'm can, I, that. can I bribe you to maybe 
off cam off off air give me like a little hint about the themes that you're wanting yeah to yeah please put some things in the uh work i will put some notes and i will put some some things in the notes okay. by all means yes, and i delightful. will tell you whatever you want Sounds- to know but before we go we have mentioned it once i'll mention it again we have a website it does have a quiz it's heretichappyhour.com, but it has more than a quiz. It has our episodes. It has links to shirts and hats and hoodies and a very lovely uh, assortment of books in our bookstore that features our former Heretics of the Week. If you head on over to heretichappyhour.com, you can save 15% off retail on those lovely books. Again, heretichappyhour.com. And then come post your books. Post your quiz results, post all of that in Heresy After Hours. It's our free Facebook group, a couple of thousand members of people who are deconstructing, asking really deep questions, sharing lots of resources, sharing jokes. Um, So we want to see what heretic you are. You can find like-minded heretics and Heresy After Hours. That's right. And uh, for all of you who uh, so faithfully and carefully and uh, endearingly and generously don't, um, support the Heretic Happy Hour podcast on Patreon. We want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. We, we love you with the greatest love. And um, if you don't support us yet, go over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and uh, give us some love and uh, unlock all kinds of amazing, cool goodies, including access to our private Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. Uh, go and do that. Thank you. And please rate and review us. That's please right. Do that. Rate and yeah. review on iTunes. Don't wait 14,000 years. Please, please do not. It will be too late by then. Rate and review yes. us now. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to try that. I'm going to be at a dinner party. I'm going to say, hey, everybody, I got an announcement to make. I'm a 14,000-year-old gay man, and I'm Jesus. Just see how it goes. See what happens. <laughs> and everyone would go, old man, Giles. They're like, yeah, we knew that. Come on. Big deal. Pass the potato salad.